you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. A good example is a good thing, isn't it? We saw that last week in the text here before us. Mark Twain once said that few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Maybe you know what that's like if you had a, an older sibling who was a good example. Or maybe you had a younger sibling who was a good example. And that sibling was annoying. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Oh, I love my younger brother. But he was an annoyingly good example at times. I always said, just a side note, uh, my, I had an older brother, who, uh, older sister, who's the eldest among us. She's 10 years my senior. She said she would never marry a pastor. She did not. But her husband became a pastor. <laughs> my older brother said he would always be a pastor. My younger brother said he would always be a pastor. I said I would never be a pastor. So here I am. Just be careful about what you say you'll never do. It may be the thing the Lord really wants you to do. And he is patient. I can attest to that also. But yes, that saying from Mark Twain, few things are harder, hard, harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Uh, one day a Christian dad was explaining to his little boy what a Christian is. And in his innocence, the youngster looked at his dad and said, Dad, have I ever seen a Christian? <laughs> Ouch. A dad does not want to hear that when he's trying to explain to his son what a Christian looks like. He wants a, uh, he wants his son to see him as a Christian, right? And, and I think, uh, I think that sh that's likely the heart cry of our hearts. If you're a believer, you want to be seen as a believer. I hope that's your heart. I hope that's your strong desire, that you want people to see you and see the way you live and hear what you say and recognize you as a follower of Jesus. Last week here in Philippians 3, we looked at Paul's instruction to follow his example and the example of other growing godly believers. And we noted then that it is good and it is necessary to have godly examples. God has also given us those who are godly saints, people who have gone on before us, who are, now, who are now dead, and we look to their biographies or we look to their place in history and we realize they finished well. And we, we want to follow their example. That's good. I encourage you to do that. Read good biographies of saints who have gone on before and have finished well. Follow their example. Godly examples are important and they are necessary and so Paul says, look at Philippians 3 and verse 17. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That we looked at last week. But in the following verses, Paul moves from instructing believers to imitate godly examples to warning believers to be on guard against sinful examples. 
The urgency of being on guard against sinful examples is clear here in the strong language that Paul uses in verse 18 and verse 19. So I want you to look to those verses now. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version, beginning with verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. There are godly examples that we should imitate, and there are sinful examples that we must avoid, that we must be on guard against being swept into being like and following So Paul raises a red flag here when he calls out these people who are sinful examples. He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. That's strong language. Enemies of the cross of Christ. This is is serious. When I get to a passage like this, I realize this is serious. We need to pay attention to this. Note first how the enemy is described. Notice in verse 18 that Paul says that Many, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I don't like hearing that. I want many to be obedient to Christ. I want many to be followers of Christ. Yielding at the foot of the cross to the Lord Jesus Christ's work in their lives with the word. But that's not what we hear in this place. Many are enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul doesn't seem to narrow this down to a specific group of people, but it does seem very clear to me that Paul is pointing to people who say they are Christians. In this context, I think what he's talking about, he's talking about people who say they're Christians, but their lifestyle betrays the cross of Christ. And their lifestyle exposes them for for not being followers of Christ. There were people like this in Paul's day. And there are people like this in our day. People who, on the surface, seem to be all right. They seem to be believers, even. They may be even uh, faithful church attenders. They may go to church, they may talk the talk, but in reality they have not trusted in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life. Salvation through Christ. They've not truly trusted in Him. They know about Jesus. They know how to appear like they know Him because they've learned. But they aren't becoming more Christ-like. Because they aren't truly believers in and followers of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus is not a throwaway phrase. I don't know if you use that or not. I don't know if you call yourself a follower of Christ or a follower of Jesus. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should use that phrase, but you should also live that phrase. When someone appears on the surface to be a believer but isn't truly following Jesus... Their life is ultimately only leading people away from Christ, away from the truth of God's Word. Paul speaks of this kind of person in 2 Corinthians 11. 
and verse 13 when he writes, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, distinguishing themselves as apostles of Christ. Charles Spurgeon spoke of this kind of person when he wrote, Beloved, I would rather have a thousand devils out of the church than have one in it. I do not care about all the adversaries outside. Our greatest cause of fear is from the crafty wolves in sheep's clothing that devour the flock. It is against such that we would denounce in holy wrath the solemn sentence of divine indignation, and for such we, should, we would shed our bitterest tears of sorrow. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Is this, you might be sitting there thinking, is this really a serious problem? Yes, it is. Note how Paul mentions he has often warned them, these believers he's writing to at Philippi, he's often warned them of this problem, and now he does so with tears. That's sobering, isn't it? This is serious. It's a grievous problem for Paul to have to remind them of people who do not walk in obedience to Christ. Not as followers of Jesus, but of people who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, it may surprise you to hear this. But not everyone who professes to be a believer in Jesus Christ truly is. How can this be? It's for the same reason we hear Jesus saying this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, when we're told, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That is another sobering reminder, isn't it? Then Jesus warns about false teachers who would lead people astray in verse 15 when he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Peter also warns believers against those who would lead people away from Christ, false teachers, in 2 Peter 2.1. Listen, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destruction or destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then Paul also says this from Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's clear Throughout the scriptures, it's clear here in Philippians that there are professors of faith in Jesus who are not possessors of faith in Jesus. There are people who say they believe in Christ, say they belong to Christ, but they don't truly believe or belong to Him. 
There's no true relationship. You might wonder, how can you tell? How can you tell a believer from an unbeliever? Often it's a matter of examining their life. Examining their manner of living. Uh, Some people would say, judge not that you be not judged. But uh, we need to be really careful. That passage often used against believers is, is often taken out of context because what that passage is teaching is don't be hypocritical. Don't, don't point at other people's sins when you're refusing to take care of your own. Believers, I think it was Warren Wearsby who said, believers should be fruit inspectors. <laughs> I've always, it's always stuck with me. We, we need to be able to look at one another and see fruit. And if you don't see fruit in someone who, who claims to be a believer, then maybe it's a signal to you to come alongside them and help encourage them toward Christ. Maybe they're not a believer. Maybe they just need to grow in Christ. And you can help them with that. We can disciple one another in these ways. For people who believe in Jesus, there should be a willing change in lifestyle. Note that I said people who are believers. This is a word of caution to us who see people who desperately need Christ and we long for them to give their lives to Christ, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We need to be really careful that we don't preach to them change and then believe. Because without the power of Christ in them, it's going to be really hard for them to live up to God's standard. In fact, even as believers, we realize more and more that we fail to live up to God's standard of righteousness because we're still dealing with sin. We still need to repent and thank God for the forgiveness He's already already given us in Christ. But as unbelievers, unbelievers have no power to change without the Holy Spirit's help, and they don't gain the Holy Spirit until they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so when you're witnessing to an unbeliever, be really careful you're not preaching law and you need to change, you need to give them hope. They need to know, too, that things are going to change for them when they put their faith in Christ, and things may not get easier. Things could get more challenging, but it is totally worth it. For people who believe in Jesus, there should be a willing change in lifestyle. Just as Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Believers, you know this to be true. Denying yourself is not easy, is it? And yet that's what we're called to do. We're called to learn to say no to the flesh again and again, instead choosing to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with our obedience. So when watching the life of a person who says they are a follower of Jesus, is there evidence that they're putting Christ first in their lives? Is there evidence that they're seeking to obey the Bible? Is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit growing in their lives, such as that which we see in Galatians 5? Is there evidence of growing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Believers, do you hear that? That's the kind of thing that we should be wanting to live up to to be godly examples. It's also helpful for us to know this. It'll help us recognize a person's life we should not follow because we don't see these things growing in them. 
It is critical to your spiritual well-being that you be led to obedience to the truth of the Bible and not away from it. And so Paul, Paul warns us to be careful of anyone who claims to know Christ but doesn't live a life that honors Him. Be on guard against anyone who would lead you astray with their sinful example. Be cautious and careful about the company that you keep. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't know any unbelievers. But you need to be careful that you're leading them toward Christ and they're not leading you away from Christ. Paul was not also, he wasn't being heartless here either. You might think, well, this is kind of insensitive of Paul. No, he's, he, first of all, he cares about the church. He loves God's church for whom Christ died. He is deeply concerned. He's giving this warning with, even with tears. He's moved with compassion and emotion for God's people. He cared deeply for the spiritual welfare of God's children. How about you? I wonder when you think of a passage like this, it, it, it can be dangerous for us to think, boy, there's all these people who we need to be on guard against. But are you looking at your own life as an opportunity to be an encouragement to others so that you're not numbered among these that, that we should guard against? Do you long to see God's church grow and become more and more Christ-like and your brothers and sisters in Christ to grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Do you long for that? It's not just for your own good that you're here. That God put you in this fellowship so that you would be good for one another. That was Paul. He cared deeply for the spiritual welfare of God's children. He also knew the true condition of the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he was grieved that they were lost. He also knew the damage that they could cause in people's lives. And he knew their destiny. That's what we see next in the first phrase of verse 19. Note the destiny of the enemies of the cross of Christ. Look at verse 19 again where we're told their end is destruction. The word used here is the opposite of salvation. These kinds of people are headed for destruction. These enemies of the cross of Christ will face a day of judgment unless they turn from their sinfulness and turn to faith in Jesus Christ, believe in Him and be saved. Their future is far from a happy one. Eternal destruction awaits every enemy of the cross of Christ. Instead of receiving the gift of eternal life that's for all who trust in Jesus, the enemies of the cross of Christ face death and destruction, eternal separation from God and punishment in hell. Their end is described this way in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Punishment for their sins is what unbelievers face. Their end is destruction, and we also ought to be grieved about this just as Paul was. When you think of unbelievers around you, are you grieved that they don't know Christ, that they are blinded from the truth, that, that they need Christ and, and should have faith in Him? 
Does it concern you that you have neighbors who don't know Christ? Does it concern you that you have co-workers that, that need the Lord Jesus Christ? Note next, the enemy of the cross of Christ has a false god by which they can be identified. Notice what Paul says about their god in verse 19. He says their god is their belly. And he's not just saying that they are only about satisfying their physical hunger. He's pointing to all of their physical appetites, all of them. All of their passions and desires, including sensual desires. The idea here is that instead of serving God, enemies of the cross of Christ are consumed with gratifying all of their own physical passions and desires. They put serving themselves in every way over serving the one true and living God. They make idols out of their own physical desires, passions, and lusts. Their philosophy is, if it feels good, do it. If it brings me pleasure, that's what I'll do. And in fact, you'll even hear, <clears throat> hear language like this from the world, and it even creeps into the church. Follow your heart. That's right. I, I appreciate the Christian fellow who recently wrote a book called Don't Follow Your Heart. Follow your heart if your heart is following Jesus. Follow your heart can be dangerous. Follow what feels good is idolatry. What a stark contrast to the way Paul lived his life. Back in Philippians 3.10 we hear this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is a man who knew what rebellion against God was, who persecuted Christians, who pursued them to their death, whom God confronted on the road to Damascus and transformed. If there was hope for Paul, there's hope for me and you. Paul's passion, though, he had come to grow, and his passion had completely turned in the opposite direction. Instead of pursuing Christians to eliminate them, he began pursuing unbelievers to bring them to Christ. Paul's passion was to know Christ, to make him known. He lived to please and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not perfect. We hear him say that even in many of his writings. He says, I am, we've heard it here in Philippians. We hear it also in Romans. I am, I'm not perfect. I am not complete. I'm not perfectly sinless. We know that of Paul. But yet, we can see his passion here. And God chose to, to move him to point to himself as, a, as an example to follow of a person who is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's passion was to know Christ. He lived to please and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we're being called to. But enemies of the cross of Christ live to please self. Their God is their belly. 
I hear again and again here, I hope you hear this also, I hear again and again here warnings for us. This isn't just about recognizing those who are unbelievers who would lead us astray if we follow their example. It's also about being godly examples, being on guard against these things showing up in our lives. Note also that they can be identified by what they celebrate. Enemies of the cross of Christ celebrate something that is not God-honoring. We see it in verse 19. Paul says, They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Simply put, they celebrate themselves. They don't celebrate Jesus. They don't celebrate forgiveness of sins in Christ alone. They're proud of the things that they should be ashamed of. Does that sound familiar? We're living in a culture right now that says be proud of those things which God calls shameful, detestable. We see that attitude today. Instead of being ashamed of immorality and immoral acts, which God clearly condemns, enemies of the cross of Christ glorify their shameful acts of disobedience to God. That should grieve us. That should cause us to pray for our neighbors who need Christ, who are being led astray by a world that's being led astray. This is not to be the way followers of Jesus behave. Paul gives this warning in Ephesians 5. Listen to verses 11 and 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, the Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It grieves me that I see that going on in our world that we live in, calling good evil and evil good. Enemies of the cross of Christ call evil good. They celebrate their own shameful acts of disobedience. Now note next that Paul tells us about what the enemies of the cross of Christ delight in. Note again in verse 19 that enemies of the cross of Christ have their minds set on earthly things. Their only joy is found in the things of this world. But the Bible warns us against that kind of tunnel vision. That is tunnel vision. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Paul is warning us here in Philippians 3 against the kind of examples we must not follow. First he showed us the kinds of examples that we must follow. Now he's showing us what we must not follow. Do not follow people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Witness to them. Point them to Christ. Live a godly example before them so that they should see Christ. But do not follow people who are enemies of the cross of of Christ. But watch for people to imitate whose life is a truly godly example. And my desire, my prayer for us is that we would be a church filled with people who are godly examples going out into the culture every week, 
coming back on the Lord's day to be refreshed, encouraged, corrected in our thinking, trained up in righteousness to go out and live in the world that points people to the Lord Jesus Christ who are being led astray. We're also hearing the sad reality for people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19 says their end is destruction. I hope that no one here today can be described that way. But it's possible. It's possible that you're hearing this and you're realizing that you have not taken seriously a passage like Romans 6.23 that warns and encourages. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's a warning. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, there's a warning there for you. The wages of sin is death. There's also encouragement here, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're realizing today that you do not have your faith placed in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, if you look at your life and realize you're just going through the motions, you need to trust in Jesus and there's no, no time like now even where you sit in the stillness of your heart, you can cry out to God in prayer, thanking Him for the Lord Jesus Christ, telling Him that you believe in Jesus, asking for forgiveness. He will save you. He will give you His Spirit. And He will begin to help you become more like His Son. It is sobering to learn, as we have today, that there are many people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. It's a warning to us to be careful about the examples that we choose to follow. It's also a challenge to us to not be numbered among these kinds of people who lead people away from the truth instead of to the truth, away from Christ instead of to Christ. I hope this is your desire to grow and grow and grow as long as God gives you breath on this earth to grow in Christ likeness. Keep following Jesus. Keep reading his word. Keep coming to church. Keep fellowshipping with God's people. Keep serving in God's church alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep growing in Christ. Keep praying. Did I mention keep reading your Bible? I think I did. It's okay. You need the truth in you. You need to saturate your heart and mind with the truth of God's Word. It's sobering when we see a passage like this. It should be. Ask God for wisdom from His Word as you read it. Ask God to help you obey it and submit to it as you read it. Don't just look for the passages that apply to your wife or your husband or your children. Read them. They're for you. Ask God for wisdom from His Word so that you'll recognize godly examples. So that you'll have eyes that are tuned by the Word of truth to see godly examples that you should imitate. And we should look for those kinds of examples that we can imitate. And we should long to be those examples that others can imitate.